do we really, do I, I'll point the finger at me, do I, do I really have a broken desperation for the people that are around me that are going to hell? There has to be a movement of desperation all over our country. Welcome to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. It is a joy to have you listening today, and we pray that you will be encouraged, challenged, and motivated to live for God like never before. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor John Couch. O Lord, our God, our rock, our Redeemer, our fortress, our shield, our anchor. We come before you today in humility, with deep contrition, with hearts that are tender and pliable and, and soft that want to worship you today, O oh God. Father, in a world that is struggling, in a world that hates Jesus, in a world where there's so many traps, so much bait, and yet, Father, we We know there's a hook inside those baits from Satan himself. So Lord, we pray simply but boldly, may you speak in this time. Father, I pray that you give me the words to say. Holy Spirit, I pray you work in me, in my own life, in my own heart, in my own mind. I pray you work through me that many might come to know you through your son Jesus Christ. So Father, illuminate truth. Don't allow us to be deceived. Show us the narrow way. Give us boldness and courage. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to You and You alone. My Lord, my Rock, and my Redeemer. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Take your Bible and turn to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 4, as we conclude this chapter. 1 Peter chapter 4, if you don't have a Bible, we'll have the notes and the verses on the screen. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, looking at 17 through 19 this morning. And as you're turning there... I received a quote recently that really began to stir 
Have you ever received a word from someone else that was from the Lord, but it just began to, to stir in your mind? And here's what was given to me. And I quote, A disciple of Jesus is someone is someone who has moved from being a recipient of the church's mission to being responsible for the church's mission. A true disciple of Jesus Christ that we see in Scripture is someone who has moved. They are being sanctified. They are having the ongoing change in their life that they are moving from being just a consumer to now being responsible for. Now, I know that's a challenge in this American culture we live in, but if you just think through it from a very simplistic standpoint, when a life has truly been changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, that, that light comes into that life, that, that life is no longer the same again, there is such a transformation that there is something that is so new and real in that life that you can't help but want to share the good news when it's real. Now the challenge is, as I know and you know, for those of us that have been walking with the Lord for a longer period of time, the the internal war that goes on on an ongoing basis would be something like this. How do I guard against my heart from becoming calloused? How do I guard against my heart becoming hardened? How do I guard against my ears becoming deadened? How do I guard against my eyes, the window to the soul, becoming blinded? Those were thoughts that were resonating in my mind's eye all week, because I began to look at these three verses, and I continue to think about the dire need for truth. How many, by a show of hands, out of curiosity, believe that the Bible is the living, breathing Word of God. Like, I believe it. Amen? Praise God that there's hands all over this room that are raised. It is the living, breathing Word of God. And as I said previously, when you're in the battle and you're doing hand-to-hand combat, you've got to have a weapon. And we know the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, is our offensive weapon. The enemy is going to do everything he can For the true believer, because he hates you, he hates your marriage, he hates your church, he hates everything about you when you've given your life to Jesus, he's going to do everything in his power to get the Word of God out of your life. We have to fight, we have to be intentional to make sure the Word of God, the centrality of Scripture, will always be our bedrock. It's not that we actually hit Satan with a physical Bible, but you hit him, so to speak, with the word that you've buried in your heart. 
For those moments when you're struggling and you're discouraged and you're depressed. For those moments when at work you're not understanding what's going on and, and why is someone else getting the promotion that I've worked so hard for. In the moments where that there's marital conflict and there's friction there. In those moments that you've, you've been in the quiet place. You've been in the quiet place, and you've buried the Word, you've treasured it in your heart and your soul, and it's so deep in there that in those moments, you don't even have to think about it. It just springs forth out of the life. And the Holy Spirit, by His power, the great dot connector begins to connect dots that you know your Redeemer lives that you know He's for you and not against you, that you know that greater is He that's within you than He that's in the world, and you continue just to take Scripture that you've buried into the deep well of your heart, soul, and mind, and you begin to use it as your offensive weapon in the battle that all of us are fighting that are true believers. But... In the midst of suffering, do we typically run towards the sword? Or do we truthfully, myself included, look for something else to take off the edge? See, right here in these verses, think about this. Here it is. Chapter 4 in your Bible. Right here in these verses. Listen to what is said as Peter wraps up chapter 4. Verse 17, by the power of the Holy Spirit, has said this. And these are powerful big boy words, I'm going to warn you. I didn't write them. Don't shoot the messenger. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? 18. And if the righteous is scarcely saved, don't panic or explain that, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Lastly, 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will hmm, entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Peter comes out of the gate swinging and he says this phrase, for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. We know from Scripture that the bride of Christ is His church. I don't know if you know this, but He's not coming back for church attenders. He's coming back for true converts. And in our world, especially here in America where it's easy believism, what can tickle my ears, 
all while not being truly transformed, and that is just okay in the Americanized culture, we see very clearly from God's Word how seriously, how seriously He takes His Word. Think about this. He loves His bride. For you parents in the room, any parents in the room that want to admit it, raise your hands. Amen? A couple of you out there that want to admit it. Okay. If you really love your child, what do you do when they disobey? What do you do, as I see some children looking at their parents right now, what do you do when your child is wayward? What do you do when that child is veering off the course? Well, any parent with any sense is going to correct, to train, to discipline out of love. The Bible says this, that the Lord chastens those He, church, loves. He loves His bride, His church, His true church, true believers, and He's going to jealously guard it. He's going to jealously fight for it. He's going to jealously say, I'm going to judge you, which means this in the original, I'm going to prune, purify, and cleanse. You guys ever drank purified water? Let me ask it this way. Have you ever drank well water that smells like eggs? (laughs) you're hungry and thirsty for some purified water, amen? Why? Because there's so much impurity in there. It's nauseating. It is repulsive. See, God is holy, and He cannot cohabitate with sin. Therefore, He gave Jesus to be the mediator, to bring us to Christ. If you're here today, and you've never truly, I'm talking truly given your life to Jesus, my prayer right now as I'm talking, I pray the Holy Spirit right now will be working in this room today, and I pray you who have never truly given your heart to Christ, at the end of our gathering today, I pray you're going to run to the cross of Jesus Christ, amen? Because there's nothing greater. And yet we know this as the corporate body gathers that the Lord loves His bride, His church, so much that He's going to fight for her. And He's going to do whatever's necessary to get rid of the darkness. Pruning. Any plant people in the room today? You like plants, shrubs? Yeah, that type of stuff. Well, what do you typically do with a shrub that, or a tree that blooms in the spring? You begin to, what, prune it. And you look at it, and you drive by your house. I didn't drive by your house, but if I did, I'd let you know. You go, woo, that looks ugly. That looks horrible, doesn't it? Like, who let the shrub trimmer go haywire, right? It looks just like it got butchered, so to speak. But the pruning produces something. The pruning actually strengthens. It's a painful process. It looks horrible. For a season, you're kind of like, what are those homeowners doing? (laughs) And that's exactly what God does. He loves His church all across our country so much that He will step in at times and begin to prune and he purifies. 
and he casts out the darkness because when the Holy Spirit is grieved and quenched, he cannot work. But when the darkness is gone, we begin to see God move in power. We begin to see hearts change. That's why we exist, amen, church? We exist to give glory to God, to be disciples of Jesus that make disciples of Jesus. We're not a country club that happens to have a steeple on it. We are the church of Jesus Christ, and we are here on mission to mobilize the masses to see people all throughout Chester and Richmond and beyond throw themselves at the feet of King Jesus. And all God's people said, that's why we exist. But it's hard, isn't it? Because I know when God prunes me personally, and He does, it's painful don't lose heart, don't bend, don't buckle, don't listen to the voice of the enemy, listen to the voice of truth, and that's why our key number one is so important. I want you to write this down. Key number one, write this down in your notes in front of you. When I stand in front of Jesus on that day, I'll explain that in a minute, will he look at me and say that I was too surrendered to him? Question mark. When I stand in front of Jesus on that day, Will he look at me and say that I was too surrendered to him? Question mark. Uh, Here's the reality. We know that there is going to be two judgments. One is the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat. That's for the true believer. I pray that everyone in the room is going to be in that line. But the reality is there's a second judgment called the great white throne judgment, and that's for unbelievers. And there aren't any do-overs. You can be a church attender. You can be a pastor. You can be a deacon. You can teach Sunday school. You can do all those great external things and still never truly give your life to Jesus, and you're going to end up with the great white throne judgment. See, when someone truly gets saved, it's a lifetime change. Now, having said that, man, there's bumps in the road, amen? And there's bumps. I mean, some days are good days, and some days are, ooh, that was kind of crummy. But if it's a real, true conversion, a true being reborn, the person's been reborn. The word we use often is regeneration. They, they are now seeing clearly. They're, they're walking in the light. They know that the foolishness of the world will never satisfy. I asked myself several questions here this week, and I'll ask these out loud to you. It just lets you answer, as I had to answer these myself. Because we... Church, we don't, want, we don't want hard hearts because hard hearts produce dry eyes. Hard hearts produce dry eyes. Here are the questions, and I ask myself these. Do I seek the glory of God too much? Do I fear God and stand in the holy awe and reverence of Him too much? Do I live a life of holiness too much? Do I have a desire to be a person who is full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit too much? Do I have a desperation to hear from the Lord and His Word every time we gather too much? Do I read and meditate and put into practice the Word of God too much? Do I pray, God, your kingdom come, my kingdom be gone? 
Your will be done. My will be exterminated. Too much. Do I hunger and thirst for righteousness? Too much. Do I long with desperation to see my family and friends and neighbors and co-workers run to Jesus? Too much. Do I desire to be more like Christ through discipleship? Too much. Do I desire to disciple others to be more like Christ? Too much. Do I serve others inside the church? Too much. Do I serve others outside the church? Too much. Do I exhibit humility and contrition and brokenness? Too much. Do I resist the temptation to pull back and live in isolation from the body of Christ? Too much. Do I seek God for who He is and not what He can do for me? Too much. And lastly, and this convicted me greatly, do I complain too little? As I sat there at my desk this past week, pondering those questions, the Lord was speaking to me and only me, and I'm just sharing it with you. There was great conviction, not condemnation, great conviction that came upon my soul. You see, it's really about Luke chapter 6, and I want you to write this down in your notes. Luke chapter 6 sums up this first key so beautifully. Luke chapter 6, 46 through 49, this is what the Word of God says. And Jesus is speaking here, so we know when He speaks that well, people hopefully listen and people hopefully obey. And this is what He asks. And again, He's very direct. He's, he doesn't mince words. Have you noticed that with Jesus He's not afraid of men. He, he speaks truth. He, he, he loves the downcast and the, the downtrodden and the tax collectors and the prostitutes. But man, he's hard on the people that are prideful. He's hard on the Pharisees. He's hard on the religious people because he knows that their, their hearts are hardened. And he says these words, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not and not do, maybe your translation says, what I tell you. He's saying, why don't you obey me, is what he's saying. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them. So there's a connector. It's called the word and. There's a hearing of the truth and there's an obeying of the truth. And the two always go hand in hand in Scripture. James, we unpacked this many, many, many months ago. Do not just be hearers of the word, church, but be doers of the word. Why? Out of habit? No. Out of coercion? No. Why do we do that? If we've truly been given to Christ, our lives are His, you want to do that. Jesus goes on in Luke, I will show you what He is like. Again, that person who hears my words and does them. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not, church, shake it. 
Why? Because it had been well built. But, 49, the one who hears sounds good, doesn't it? However, there's the word and, and does not do them, does not obey, is like, here he is, here she is, is like a man, a woman who built a house on the ground without a foundation. And when the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and great was the ruin of that house. Wow. Some of us perhaps have lived on both sides of that narrative. As I talked to people outside in the community, I had an interesting conversation last night. I was, I was picking up pizza. Can I get a witness for pizza? Amen. Praise the Lord, right? So I'm standing there in this pizza place and no one else is in there. And so it's like, well, I got to wait for this pizza to come out of the oven. So I might as well use my time wisely. And let's tell these two people that are working behind the counter about Jesus. Amen. That's just kind of what you do. And so we began to talk about the Lord and what He can do in their life and how He can set them free from, from the bondage and the, the condemnation of sin. And boy, we were just, we were tracking and a seed was planted. I don't know what the Lord will do with that. But here's the reality that when we are in those moments, as we are witnessing the love of Christ, we see very clearly that there's people all around us that have, have heard the Word they grew up in the church and they heard it week in and week out. And yet the reality is they've never truly given their life to Jesus. And they've built their house without any foundation. I don't know about you, but when I read that, when I I read that text from Luke, I am greatly stirred. I'm greatly motivated. I want to make a difference. I want to push the needle. I want to push the envelope, if you will. I want to see people come to know the Lord because people need the Lord, amen? And yet so often the way that God does that process of true regeneration is He uses broken people like me and broken people like you in the midst of that equation to be the conduit and the vessel to draw people to Him. You're listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. All of Pastor Couch's messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. In addition, you can share your prayer requests with us via email. Our email address for prayer requests is prayer at thisdayministries.org. That's prayer at thisdayministries.org. And now, back to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch. That cleansing, though, is painful, isn't it? I was at the dentist two weeks ago. I'm not a real big fan of the dentist. And so I'm there for a teeth cleaning. I'm there for a teeth cleansing. And so, you know, you're in the chair and they they put these 
these shades on you, and I'm there, and sure enough, the, the scraping begins, the chiseling begins, the jackhammering begun. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, what are you doing in there? And sure enough, man, I, they're going in for just not a partial clean, I can tell. They're going in for a deep cleanse. And, and, and they, they're in there, and, and they put a fire hose in your mouth, you know what I'm talking about? And I mean, you're, you're drowning. I thought I was being waterboarded at one point, you know? I mean, it was just crazy. I couldn't believe what was going on here. And, and then they put like a vacuum cleaner in there, right? And so you got a water hose and a vacuum cleaner in there simultaneously. I'm, I'm hating life. Like, I'm praying, Lord, here's the deal, Lord. She, she just started on this process, and this is going to take a while. I'm praying for the rapture. I'm serious. I'm like, get me out of this chair. You know what's interesting, though, is that once the cleaning and the cleansing was over, boy, there's a noticeable difference. It was painful. It hurt. The judgment began right there at the the door of my grill, so to speak. Amen? Do you see the parallel between that? It's painful. It hurts. God's working. He's working. He's working for those that love Him, that honor Him, that love His Word, that want to walk in light, don't want to walk in darkness. They have soft hearts, not hard hearts. God works. There's freedom to work. And that's what He does. Verse 18 says it like this, and if the righteous is scarcely saved, seems like a panic moment, we'll explain that, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So this is not saved by the skin of our teeth. It's not what he's saying here. Here's what he's saying, and this is a hard truth. What has been Peter's theme from the first verse of chapter 1 all the way where we are today? You probably know it by now. It starts with an S. Suffering. He's writing to believers in this big Roman empire who want to quit. Man, they're discouraged. And he's saying, in a nutshell, don't lose hearts. And he's giving them illustration after illustration through these verses. And if you're curious, why do we unpack Scripture one verse at a time? I've already explained it. Here's why. This is your offensive weapon. If we're not internalizing every word of Scripture, how will you use it in the hand-to-hand combat that you're going to face probably by the time you get in the car? And saying, don't lose heart. And then he says this phrase, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? See, this is where the American church must get to. Do we really, do I, I'll point the finger at me, do I, do I really have a broken desperation for the people that are around me that are going to hell. There has to be a movement of desperation all over our country. That there be such a motivation. That's why I love to hang around people that have just given their life to Christ because here's what they do. They're like inviting everybody. It's it's amazing. Because they get it. They just climbed out of the sewer. And they're like, man, this is amazing. This is like incredible. And then what happens is we get lulled, 
with all the comforts that are around us in America, right? And the pot begins to boil. And we don't even know so often as the temperature's being turned up, how the enemy is pressing in closer and closer. Key number two, write it down. If I am rescued and brought to Christ and being sanctified through suffering, yes, yes, what then will be the end of those who reject Christ? Key number two, if I am rescued and brought to Christ and being sanctified through suffering, what then will be the end of those who reject Christ? Do the spiritually lost people that I encounter in my neighborhood, uh, on the street, at the gas pump, in the grocery store, do they motivate me? Do they motivate me to spread the good news? Not out of habit, not out of, well, you're a preacher, you got to do this. No, I'm a preacher, I get to do this. I get to do this. I get to share the good news with people. I love to share the good news with people. You say, well, why? Why? Because how many people really all across our country that are in churches today are desperate? I mean, desperate for their neighbors. Picture those neighbors right now behind you, in front of you, to the side that if they don't know Jesus, I mean, does that wake us up? Does that shake us up? Does that motivate us to share what we profess transformed us? And I use the word profess. If it's really transformed us, if it really has sunk its teeth into me, that the gospel of Jesus Christ has, has changed me and my life is no longer my own, I'm going to spend every waking moment, every day of my life to cast the net and say, here's what will satisfy you forever. It's not addiction. It's not possessions. It's not money. It's the souls that have given their life to Christ that will last forever. That's why I think of 2 Thessalonians that just, it struck me when I was thinking that thought, I wrote down on my my notepad, I wrote down 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, 5 through 12. And this is what it says. Write that down as a context verse. It says this, this is the evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are also, what church? Suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you. What a, what a great nugget to hang on to that we're not in charge with getting back at people who do things to us that are ungodly. Right there it is. He's going to take care of that. And to what? And to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Man, if that doesn't motivate us, I don't think anything else will. We don't got to get back at the people that are trying to chop our legs off and get us away from the gospel truth. We love them. We pray for them. 
let God take care of them. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. But do you see the consequences? There are consequences here in the here and now, yes, but in the eternal forever. And then he says these beautiful words in verse 9, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might when He comes on that day to be glorified in His saints and to be marveled at. (laughs) I love this phrase. And to be marveled at among all who have believed. Isn't that going to be awesome? King Jesus, man, he's like, here comes Jesus. I mean, here he comes. Think about the greatest football game you've ever been to. Man, you know how it works, guys. Man, you're up there in the stadium. I remember I'm up there in Tampa Stadium years ago. Pray for the Buccaneers. I need some prayers. Amen. So here's what's happening. I'm up at Tampa Stadium. Barry Sanders is running all over us. He's going all over the place. We finally score a touchdown. The guy next to me, we haven't talked the whole game. You know what I'm saying? We haven't talked the whole game. When we score a touchdown, we're high-fiving, we're hugging, we're exchanging phone numbers, uh, pin numbers on the back of credit cards. We're just exchanging everything. You know what I'm saying? There's something about when, when there's excitement and there's unity and there's oneness that it brings people together. Can you imagine for a moment in our finite minds what it's going to be like when Jesus Christ comes to town? Wow, it's going to be awesome. And boy, that should motivate us, shouldn't it? Because it's going to be awesome for those who have given their life to Jesus. It's going to be horrible. Horrible for those who never have. I love he goes on and says these words. To this end, verse 11, for 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 11, to this end we always pray for you, I love that, that our God may make you worthy of His calling and may fulfill every, what, resolve for good, hmm. and every work of faith by His power, not ours. Why? Here's the why, the so that, so that, here it is, this is it, right? We talk about this all the time, so that what church? Say it out loud, the name? of our Lord Jesus, maybe what? Glorified in you. There it is. That's always the why. The end goal, the end why in your life, why you exist today, why you are a true believer in Jesus Christ. Yes, it's to get to heaven. That's going to be amazing. But the end goal in all that you and I do is to give God glory. That's the end goal. They say, well, Well, how does that weave itself into 19? Well, look at 19. And here's, here's, we often say, the big red bow. Last verse, 19. Therefore, let those who suffer, it's not a misprint, according to God's will. Now, let me read that one more time, make sure we're tracking here. Therefore, So in light of what was just said in preceding verses, let, in other words, when you see the word let, especially in this context, it means do this. Let, do this, those who suffer according to God's will. Wait a minute, I thought every day is a Friday. I thought this is my best life now, right? As one person said, if this is your best life now on this earth, you're going to hell. 
Our best life is not here. My best life is with King Jesus. I'm not a citizen here. I'm a citizen of heaven, and I'm just passing through. And for every true believer, that should be our mantra. That should be our goal. Man, we're just passing through it. What can I do? What can I do? What can I do to get behind the mission? What can I do today, starting today, to get behind the mission? How can I serve? How can I help? How can I give? What can I do personally to be a conduit to get behind the mission so that many might come to know Jesus? That should be my goal and your goal. Because key number three says it like this. If I have truly given my life to God... I will make a lifelong commitment to trust Him with my life even in the midst of suffering. Now think about this for a moment. In trust, it means this. When Peter uses that word in trust, here's what he's meaning. It means to commit, but it actually goes deeper in the Greek. It means this, to deposit for safekeeping. So picture that. You have a a box at the bank, and you're depositing for safekeeping. Here it is. Therefore, 19, let those who suffer according to God's will, His sovereign plan, His ordaining of our suffering, will entrust, will deposit for safekeeping their souls to a faithful Creator while still doing the good. Boy, that's rich, isn't it? It's so rich because Philippians 1 says it like this, 27 through 30, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Why? So that when I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm. Here's the key, church, in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side. You see the unity in this, the like-mindedness, the oneness, striving side by side, what? For the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. What does that tell us? We're going to have opponents. People that hate Jesus, they claim Jesus, they hate Him. Why? They're going to be exposed. Darkness, light. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. Now here's where it gets really rich, 29. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. Engage in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. End quote. Paul, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to the church in Philippi, and he says these rich words, and listen closely. For the true believer, suffering is not an option. Part of it. It's not only been granted. The Greek word there is charis, grace. It's not only been grace to you to suffer or to believe, but also to suffer. The two go hand in hand. How will we know, church, how will we know the power of his resurrection apart from the fellowship of his sufferings? We won't truly know it. And that's why for us today, as the Bible says, as we read right there in 1 Peter, judgment begins. Judgment begins at the household of God. 
And if it begins with us, what will the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will. He's given it to us as a gift. I know it's hard to understand that. I get it. Got the t-shirt. Got a closet full of them. I understand this. It's hard to wrap your head and our finite human minds around how could a good God ordain suffering into my life? He sharpens us. He purifies us. He prunes us. He draws us closer to Him in dependence for the true believer. Suffering, as hard as it is to say this, is actually a gift. And we rejoice and be glad in the midst of those challenges. Amen? What do we learn today? Pruning begins in God's true church, and this is not a bad thing. Number two, my sanctification involves suffering. And what will happen to those who reject Christ? And number three, I can entrust my life and my suffering to God because He's using it for His glory and according to His will. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we come before You. Lord, you are just so amazing. You're so amazing, God. We worship you. We fall at your feet. Lord, I think about the songs we've sung today that I pray for every person in this room that it's truly well with their soul. But Lord, maybe it's not. Maybe there's someone here today that the reality is the Holy Spirit is moving in this place today. Maybe they've never truly given their life to you. Oh, Father, I pray, would you just move in this place with power? I pray the bowels of hell will begin to shake. Lord, we can't profess you and serve Satan simultaneously. It's exhausting. And for some of us, it's time to stop walking alone. No matter the hurt, the pain, when you truly give your life to Jesus, He will never abandon you. And maybe you're dealing with that today. Maybe you've been abandoned. And you're too frightened to really just give everything to Jesus, all of it. Give it to Him today. Jump off the fence. Make your faith public today. Oh, Father, in this time, it's yours, not ours. Holy Spirit, will you move? Move in power. As we pray, as we confess, as we love one another, as we love the riches of your word, oh God. Holy Spirit, have your way. Have your way in this place today, oh Holy Spirit, we pray. To you be the praise, Father. Jesus, to you be the glory. As we exalt your name high, as we go low. May your glory rise above us in this moment. Not unto us, not unto us, oh God, but to your name we give glory. Because of your mercy, because of your truth. Oh Father, we love you and we pray this all. In Jesus' name.
and all God's people said, Amen. You've been listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. Don't forget that all of these messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. That's thisdayministries.org. In addition, if you have been blessed by the teaching of God's Word during This Day in the Word, we would love to hear from you. Our email address is info at thisdayministries.org. Thanks again for listening as we strive to honor Christ and impact our world as we spend this day in the Word.